Are you a quitter or a finisher? When it's bigger than yourself, what's it gonna take? It takes determination, perseverance, digging in deep, day in and day out. It takes a tribe. It takes hope and work in the plan. Because anyone can start, but few finish well. Do you have what it takes? Well, hey, everybody. Hey, man, it's great to be together today. I want to say welcome to everybody, all the campuses, Mountain Road, Edgewood, Abingdon, online, and then Bel Air, my campus. Love you guys. Hey, you want to know what my favorite part of the day is? It's getting home and checking the mail. I love it. So, like, I could have my hands full with guitars or groceries, and I'll make the walk out to the mailbox before I head inside because it's just so exciting. Every day, man, I get so excited walking out to the mailbox. Some days you know exactly what's going to be in there. Some days it's a total surprise. Hey, anybody ever open the mailbox and you're surprised because there's nothing in there? Yeah, I do that all the time, and then I start to wonder, what holiday is it that I've forgotten about today, right? So, hey, just heads up, Monday, no mail delivery this week. But I'm probably going to feel that pull at some point during the day to go out to the mailbox because it's just so exciting. Hey, this week we got this package in the mail at my house. And uh, I went out there, and my wife's name was on a package in the mailbox. No big deal. We've been known to do some online shopping from time to time. So out of curiosity, I start opening the package as I'm walking into the house. Anybody else do that? You just can't even wait. So I'm walking into the house, I open the package, and there's a pair of sunglasses in there. So I walk inside, and I say to my wife, your sunglasses are here. And she says, what sunglasses? I didn't order any sunglasses. I was like, well, that's weird because there's a pair of sunglasses with your name on it here. And uh, next day, I get home, open the mailbox. There's an identical package in the mailbox. So I'm like, oh, man, open it up. There's another pair of sunglasses in there. Two days in a row, I walk inside, and I was like, hey, I know for a fact that we did not order these sunglasses, okay? (laughs) I don't know who sent these to us, but uh, they're not my color. Hey, uh, (laughs) let me tell you about the coolest piece of mail that I've ever gotten. So when I was about 9 or 10 years old, I uh, got to go to this event with my dad where Tommy Lasorda was speaking. You know Tommy Lasorda? He's the legendary manager for the Los Angeles Dodgers, and we got to meet him after he spoke. And so I had a L.A. Dodgers team card. I didn't have a Tommy Lasorda card. And I took this card up, and I held it out to the man as I walked up there nervously for him to sign. And he looked at me, and he said, son, look me in the eyes. You always look someone in the eyes when you're talking to them. And I handed him the card, and he looked at it, and he said, Are you a Dodgers fan? And I said, No. We lived in Cardinal territory. And then uh, he said, Well, do you want to be? And I said, Yes. And he took that card, and he signed it. And then he reached into his pocket, and he took out a piece of paper, and he said, Son, what's your address? You know, I don't remember much else of the conversation that day. I was so starstruck. But guess what came in the mail like a couple weeks later? This picture right here. Isn't this cool? Yeah, so uh, this came in the mail. It says, to Kirk, you and the Dodgers are both great. Your friend, Tom Lasorda. 
Isn't that cool? I mean, I, can you imagine what getting something in the mail like this does for a nine-year-old kid? I felt like I was the most important person in the world, right? Yeah, so uh, he even, Tommy Lasorda could tell from that one time meeting me that I was great. I mean, so much, so much so that he underlined the word great. I mean, he could tell. And we were friends. He wrote, your friend, Tom Lasorda. I was friends with Tom Lasorda. I mean, <laughs> hey, you know, I never really became much of a Dodgers fan, but you know what I was a fan <laughs> You know what I was a fan of after that day? Tom Lasorda. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Timothy is this young man, and he's living in the town of Ephesus, and he's leading the church that meets there. He's been given oversight of several churches in the region. Uh, by the missionary Paul, who was his mentor. Now, Paul entrusted this task to Timothy because he knew that he needed some strong leadership in those churches. There were some issues in the churches in Ephesus and in that region. There were some, there were some false teachings happening. There was misunderstandings about what the Jesus way was really all about. And Paul thought, I need someone who I know is real. And I need someone who really knows how to follow Jesus to lead these churches. So he gives this hard task to Timothy. Get the churches back on track. Timothy's job was hard. And there were days when he felt like he just didn't measure up. There were days when he felt like he just didn't have what it takes to do the job. There were days when he just needed some advice. I mean, he was a young leader. He had never done this before. He had issues with his stomach, and he wondered if it was just the weight, the stress of leadership that was causing these stomach issues. He was tired. And then some days he would just fantasize about packing it all up, heading home, back to Lystra. You know, the journey would be long. It would probably be expensive. But maybe it would be worth it just to go home and get a normal job. One of those days when Timothy feels like it's time to throw in the towel, to give up. He walks out to the mailbox, and as he flips through a stack of junk mail, he sees this letter with his name on it. And immediately he recognizes the handwriting. This letter is from his mentor and his friend, Paul This is the letter that Timothy's been waiting for. The last he knew, Paul was in prison in Rome. And you know, the thought would cross his mind from time to time, is my friend still alive? This this is the letter we've been talking about for the last few weeks around here. In the Bible, it's the book of 2 Timothy. Timothy would have treasured this letter, kept it in a special place, because in this letter, Paul is urging Timothy to fight the good fight, to finish the race. He's saying to Timothy, don't quit. Find some grit. When times are hard, persevere. You can do it. And he fills Timothy up with encouragement and advice, and it's exactly what Timothy needed. Hey, here's a quick look back at where we've been the last few weeks. We heard first about the influence of good friends, how important it is to have good friends that lead you towards Christ. We heard about God's Spirit, having that Holy Spirit power in our lives, how God's Word needs to be part of who we are, how we need to guard it and consume it and trust it. And then today we're going to talk about the importance of having godly heroes. 
Hey, let's take just a minute, and we're going to call out the names of some heroes in the Bible. Like, if there was a Hall of Fame of the Bible, who would be in that Hall of Fame? You know these people. Come on, at all the campuses. Let's just yell them out. Who's some of the heroes in the Bible? Yes, Abraham. I heard that. He had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. Who else? Yeah, Moses. Moses. Yeah, he split some water. Noah built a big boat. Yeah, okay, so there's lots of heroes in the Bible, and you guys know who they are, and that's great. Hey, you know, we've learned a lot from a lot of those heroes in the Bible, how to have faith, how to trust, and often how to have grit. Grit, it's that stick-with-itness that so many of those heroes in the Bible had and that we, we desperately need. They show us what it takes to follow God in a world that sometimes seems to be moving in the other direction. I tell you what, sometimes we have this idea of heroes all mixed up in our minds. I mean, you ask someone who their hero is, and maybe they'll tell you the name of a celebrity or a musician or an athlete. You know, those people probably don't have much of an impact on your life. Yeah, they can provide inspiration or motivation, but in my life, that kind of thinking often leads more to comparison and then to depression when I don't measure up. We need some godly heroes, people who can be a part of our lives, people we can reach out and touch, people who can come alongside of us and put their arm around us and say, this is how you walk the walk, people who can write you a letter when times are tough. People who can send you a text message and say, hang in there. You got this. Timothy takes the letter and he rips it open with some nervous excitement. I mean, what news is there from Paul? What's Paul have to say? Maybe Paul can tell me what to do. Maybe Paul can give me some good advice. I mean, how am I supposed to lead these people? What should I do? And he begins to read that letter, and it says this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, Grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice And I am persuaded now lives in you also. And Timothy Timothy pauses. And he thinks longingly about home. Timothy left Lystra with Paul a few years earlier. And he left behind the two women who raised him. He begins to wonder. How are they doing? I hope the church is taking care of them. He remembers that last embrace when his mother held him tight before he left with Paul and she said, I'm so proud of you. And how his grandmother took his hands and held them and said, you can do it. You can do it. Let's talk about some godly heroes today. Lois and Eunice. Now these must have been some gritty ladies, and I'm sure they would love that description, right? 
they get mentioned in the Bible by name just this one time. But in that one reference, we learn so much about them. Timothy reads the opening lines to the letter, and he's reminded of some truths about who he is, that his faith is sincere, that somehow it's more than just an intellectual thing, it's connected to the heart. And then he sees where Timothy says, your emotions are good and healthy. And it shows that you have a passion and an affection for your work and the people you are leading. And he says that Timothy was a joy to be around. He brought Paul joy. I mean, he was a fun guy to be around. And then he reads it on where Paul calls him a dear son. I mean, Timothy knew how to live with respect and how to honor Paul as a mentor and a leader, a spiritual father. Man, I hope you have somebody in your life like that, that you can say it brings you joy to be around them. Somebody who can speak into those deep places of your lives, speak some truth into who you are. I know my life is better because of relationships like that. And maybe you're hearing these words today and you're saying, I want to be like that. I want to be a joy to be around. I want to be the real deal. Me too. Me too. Timothy reflects on how he became the person he is. It was the influence of those two godly ladies who sacrificed so much for him as far back as he can remember. You know who has the most influence on young people? It's the family. The family does. Parents, grandparents, aunts, and uncles. Timothy had a heritage of faith, a heritage of sincere faith. And Paul is telling Timothy to use that as a place you can go when times get tough. It's a deep well that you can draw from, a deep well where you can find some grit. And it's easy to think that the biggest spiritual impact, the biggest spiritual influence on a young person is the church. Hey, Paul had a big influence on Timothy, but his family had an even bigger impact. Now, we have an amazing kids and student ministry here at this church, and right now I'm in a season of life where I have three elementary age kids, and they love being at church. They love everything about it. They love the lessons that they learn. They love their friends. They love the leaders who pour into their lives every week. They love the songs that they sing. They love the goldfish crackers and the church mints, and if you have kids around here, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? So my kids come home each week, and they're singing the songs that they learn at church, My family is at church a lot, and we love it, but here's some truth. There are way more hours each week when we are at home than when we are at church. We like to talk about thinking orange around here when it comes to raising kids to know and love God. And that's when you take the light of the church, and that's represented by yellow, and you take the love and the heart of the family, and that's represented by red, and you bring them together, and it makes this vibrant color orange. We work together, the family and the church, to raise kids to know and love God. You know how many hours a year the church has with most kids? About 40 hours a year. Now, most families Guess how many hours the family has each year to influence the young people in the family? It's somewhere around 3,000. 3,000 hours per year. 
And if there's young people in your family, you need to have that orange mindset of working together with the church, the body of Christ, to teach your kids about the love of Jesus. Timothy remembers the way his mother loved him, the way she raised him in the faith. And now she took every minute she had with him seriously. She didn't miss a moment. She turned every moment into a teaching moment. Hey, you remember my conversation with Tom Lasorda? He took every moment he had with a young person and turned it into a teaching moment. He said, son, look at me. Look me in the eye when you're talking to me. You always look someone in the eye when you talk to them. Timothy keeps reading in that letter where it says, But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And he thinks about his mother and his grandmother. He thinks about that church in Lystra that he came from. And then it continues on, it says, And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Hey, none of us were born knowing the Holy Scriptures. At some point, somebody has taught us. Timothy's mind is filled with memories of his mother quietly teaching, reading Scripture to him as a boy before he would go to bed, You know, those early years are important, and she didn't miss a moment, and that made an impression. Hey, Timothy's family is mentioned in the book of Acts. It says this, Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. Did you hear that? Timothy's father wasn't a believer. Now, we don't know the family dynamic, if Timothy's dad was in the picture or not, but we've got to assume that if he was a believer, that Paul would have mentioned his influence also. And maybe you're hearing these words today, and it makes you think of your situation. And maybe right now you're in a place where you're feeling the weight of aiming a young person in a direction that no one around you is supportive of. And that takes some grit. Hang in there. Don't quit. Find some grit. You know, I'm sure Eunice was thinking orange. I'm sure for her, some of that grit meant that every time Paul came around town, she did everything she could to get that guy to be around her boy so that he could rub off on him. She was thinking orange. Like she knew that that other voice was so important in Timothy's life. Eunice was raising her son in a countercultural way. That Acts passage told us that she was a Jewish convert to Christ. And today that might not sound like that big of a deal, but they were living in the Roman Empire in the region of Galatia. That might sound familiar to you. That's where the book of Galatians was written to. And so they were living there as Jewish people. There weren't that many Jewish people that were living in that region. And then all of a sudden she becomes a convert to Christianity. And so she didn't really fit in with the Roman culture and she didn't really fit in anymore with the Jewish culture. She became part of this new countercultural group called the church. And hey, 
The church isn't really a new group anymore, but it's still countercultural. And when we raise kids to know and love Jesus, it's countercultural. These ladies, these heroes, they would have known the Old Testament scriptures. They were Jewish. And they would have known this passage. It's a central passage to the Jewish faith. It's called the Shema. And they would have recited this several times a day. Jewish people still do today. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. I can imagine that Eunice took those words very seriously and taught her son to love God. And she talked about Jesus when they got up and when they walked along the road and then when they went to bed. And if you feel like, man, I don't know how to start teaching the young people in my life how to love God. Or maybe I'm in a place right now where I'm trying to figure all this stuff out myself. I don't know what it means to love God or to follow Jesus. You can start practicing the rhythms that are described in that verse. Start talking about following Jesus in the morning and at night with the people around you. The people that you share a roof with. Read some scripture with your family at a consistent time of the day. You know, as I've been studying for this sermon, I've been convicted to do a better job of this in my house with my kids. Start praying in the morning and then in the evening when you go to bed. And maybe even prayer, talking to God, maybe that's hard or intimidating. Sometimes it is. But Jesus gave us this gift Sometimes we call this gift the Lord's Prayer. And this is a great place to start praying with the young people in your life. For the church today, this prayer is central to our faith. Much like the Shema is central to the Jewish faith, this prayer is central to our faith. And hey, listen, when I pray these words, and I remember that these words came out of the mouth of Jesus, it makes a difference in the way that I pray them. And I remember that Jesus said, you can pray this way. I mean, this is the way that the Son talked to the Father. And then he said, you can have the same access to the Father that I have. It's direct. It's direct. Hey, a while back, I learned some hand motions to this prayer. And uh, these hand motions have been really cool. And they've helped me to connect the head and the heart, the spiritual and the physical. And this has been a fun way for my family to pray this prayer together. And maybe it can be the same thing for you. So we're all going to do the hand motions to the Lord's Prayer together. And uh, so I'm going to demonstrate it. And I'll just kind of talk through as we go the different hand motions, okay? The words are going to be on the screen. And you can just follow me for the hand motion. So we're going to start off, our Father, and we're going to open our hands like this. Okay, good. In heaven, and we reach our hands to heaven. Hallowed be your name. This is the sign of holiness. And then we're going to say, your kingdom come and extend the right arm. And then left arm, your will be done. Can you guess what the next motion is? On earth, yeah? As it is in heaven. Good, you're catching on to this. Some of you are pretty quick. (laughs) Give us today our daily bread. And you're going to breathe in deep the smell of fresh bread. It's life. It's the life that's provided by God, our loving Father. And forgive us our sins. You're going to take your hand and go over your face as a sign of forgiveness. 
as we forgive those who sin against us. And you're going to extend that same forgiveness to the people around you. Yes. And lead us not into temptation. We're going to guard our life. Yes. But deliver us from evil chains are broken. For the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Yeah. Isn't that fun? Yeah, that's a great way. Somehow, those hand motions connect that prayer to my life in a powerful way. Hey, everybody, the most important thing you can do for your kids is to pray for your kids. You want to be a hero? Start praying for the young people in your lives. Pray for them every day. Find out the things that make them tick, the things that make them hurt. Pray that they would know and love God. Pray about their dreams and their future. Pray for the people they'll marry someday. Pray for the impact that they'll have on the world. Pray that someday they would live with integrity and grit. And today, if you're thinking, man, I don't have any kids. There's no young people in my life. I know this. There are people and places in each and every one of our lives where we have influence. And you can start praying for those people. And you can be a godly hero in that relationship. If you can't think of any right now, there's a whole bunch of kids around here at this church. And you can start praying for those kids. You can start praying for the kids that live on your street, the kids that live in your building. You can be a godly hero. I got to tell you, in my life, I'm so grateful for the spiritual heritage of my family. Hey, I want to show you this picture. These are my parents. Yeah, and I'm so grateful for my mom and dad and the way that they have consistently and graciously and patiently pointed me towards Christ my entire life. Paul said about Eunice and Lois, that the faith lived in them. It was more than just words. And that's the way that my parents and my grandparents and aunts and uncles have lived their lives. And I know that's a gift, and I'm so grateful for it. And I tell you what, as a young person, seeing them live out their faith taught me more than I could ever explain, taught me more than any lesson ever could. And my mom has been a prayer warrior for me and my sister and my dad and my dad's ministry and for so many people. (laughs) We were on vacation one time. Uh, this was not, not too many years ago. And uh, I was married at this point. My sister was married. And we were all on vacation together. And um, my dad's heart went out of rhythm. And it was something that he had been struggling with. And we were kind of concerned about it. And so my mother did what she knew best. And in that moment when we were concerned, she gathered our family together. And we stood in a circle. And we held hands. And we began to pray for my dad. And my mom said this prayer. She said, Dear Lord. I pray for Daryl. I pray that his heart would be still. (laughs) Okay, hey, you got to know something about my family here. We don't let a good joke go unnoticed. So I, I opened my eyes and I looked across at my sister and we make eye contact and we just started laughing uncontrollably. I mean, we busted up laughing. It was so funny. We're like, Mom, that is exactly what we're praying would not happen in this moment, okay? And so, hey, you know what happened, though, in that moment? Uh, We enjoyed a moment of laughter and God's presence, and it was a holy moment, and we found some grit. We found some grit. 
When I was a kid, I remember digging around in my parents' room looking for money. Anybody else ever do that when you were a kid? (laughs) And uh, I knew the places in the house where loose change would gather sometimes and maybe even the occasional dollar bill that would go unnoticed. So I was digging around looking for that. I didn't find any loose change this one particular day, but I did find a yellow legal pad that was my mom's prayer list. And on the top of it, I saw my name and my sister's name, and then the names of so many other people that we cared about. And I turned the page to the previous day, and there was my name, and the day before, and the day before. You know what? That made an impression on me. It made an impression. And an impression needs an expression. Yeah. And for me, that expression is a faith in God through Jesus that is grateful for the prayers of a godly mother. And that expression, for me, leads to having some grit. Earlier this week, I was having a conversation on the phone with my parents. And my dad said, hey, I'm thinking about driving out this weekend to hear you preach. Now, they live in St. Louis. It's a 15-hour drive, so this, (laughs) this is no joke. But I started thinking... I can't stand up here today and talk about godly heroes and spiritual heritage without saying thanks to my parents and to my grandparents for that spiritual heritage. And if you have that, if you have that, you need to say thanks too. You need to say thanks to those people. And maybe right now that's putting an arm around somebody that's sitting next to you. Maybe that's making a phone call when you leave here. Maybe it's saying a prayer of gratitude for all the things that God has done in your life. But then I also started thinking, hey, my dad's going to be here. You should just hear from him today a little bit. So I'm going to bring him out here for a couple minutes. Yeah, so uh, hey, welcome my dad out here. So uh, this is my dad, Daryl. And my dad, yeah, my dad pastored a church in Illinois for 44 years. And I'm sure, I'm sure that took some grit. Hey, I've been learning from this guy my whole life, and I'm excited today uh, for all of you to get to hear from him for a few minutes. So, hi. Hi. Welcome. Glad to be here. Yeah. Hey, uh, a couple questions. I'm going to ask three questions today. The first one, this is a pressing question, very important. When was the last time you beat me in ping pong? That's That's a good question, but I didn't just come all this distance to hear you preach. I brought my own paddle this time. It's, uh, and I, I'm ready. It's not going to help. I, I, it's I'm not going to help. I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, you had my kids at your house this summer for three weeks. And that was a gift three to weeks. us. Yeah. yeah and yeah. Uh, I can imagine that that took some grit, right? Uh, yes, it did. Yeah. It was, uh, uh, it was incredibly exhausting. Wore us out. It did. But it was so much fun. We have six grandchildren. Uh, we have three here in Maryland, and we have three in Missouri. And here's a picture of them, our, our clan there. And uh, good-looking bunch, huh? Hey, uh, so can you tell us what it means for you uh, today to be a godly hero for your grandkids? Well, I see my grandchildren as being uh, my mulligan. For the, my fellow golfers out there, um, you know what a mulligan is. Uh, personally, I've never used one in my life. Uh, <laughs> But I've seen other people use them. Uh, Eric Olson used them all the time. Um, 
but I, you know, I, I, I never, but I see my grandkids as being uh, a mulligan, and um, because when I was uh, ministering all those years, um, when kids were growing up, I tended to put more focus and emphasis on leading the church I served than on leading my family, and I've repented of that. Um, the Greek word for repent in the original language, um, it, it's a military term and it means an about face. And I've made an about face when it comes to my grandchildren. They are a huge priority in my life. Now, being retired makes that a little easier, but I really haven't retired. I've just recalibrated. I'm busy doing other stuff. But including in that stuff, included in there, a big part of it is spending time with my grandchildren. And all do I delight in that. I really, really do. Um, the children, they, uh, uh, they are great to have around, but I want to tell you a great part for me is after jacking them up on sugar, being able to send them home. <laughs> Can I get an amen to that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And even if with, and with this for three weeks, I get to do that. Hallelujah. God is good. <laughs> but seriously, I, I love um, being with them. Um, right here. But I long, I have this longing in my heart to spend forever with them up there. And that's what I want to talk about for just a couple moments. The Bible says in 3 John 4, I have no greater joy than knowing that my kids are walking in the truth. And it just thrills my heart to pieces to know that my son and my daughter are walking in the truth. And I want that, and I pray for that for my grandkids. I do, I do, I do. And let me tell you why that's so paramount. My favorite movie of all time is Forrest Gump. Love the movie Forrest Gump. Came out 25 years ago this year. It's just a classic. I learned four lessons from that movie. Here they are. Number one, I learned that life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And it's true. I mean, the only un thing certain about life is that it's uncertain. Second lesson I learned that is that stupid is as stupid does. <laughs> that stupid doesn't have anything to do with IQ, but everything to do with decision-making ability. Third lesson I learned really helped me in my sermon prep. It really did, Craig. I mean, I used to get so worked up about the end of the sermon. You got to have a good closing. You just got to bring that puppy home really, really good. You get, I got so worked up about that. But after listening to Forrest, no problem. I just say that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> it was so liberating. Just so liberating. But the fourth lesson I learned was this. That's um, the greatest lesson in that movie. Forrest is staying at the grave of Jenny, the love of his life. He always loved Jenny, no matter what she did. He loved her unconditionally. And she died because of some poor decisions she made earlier in her life. He's standing at her grave, and he's telling her how much he misses her and how their son, little Forrest, is doing. He says, oh, he's so smart, Jenny. But then he says this. I don't know if it was Mama or Lieutenant Dan that was right. Do we float around kind of accidental-like, like a feather on a breeze? Or do we have a destiny? I know the answer to that question. It's right here in this book. My Bible says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's our destiny in Christ. Can I get an oh yeah to that? Yeah. My Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, No eye has seen, no ears heard, nor mind has conceived, but God's prepared for those who love him. That's our destiny in Christ. Can I get another oh yeah? Yeah. Of course that's speaking of heaven. And I want to spend forever 
with my kids and my grandkids in heaven. Now, I've got to say this, that part of that is going to be uh, their call. I mean, their call, big time. And because of that, though, the most important thing, the most important thing that parents can and need to do, and we grandparents can come alongside and help and ditto for the church, listen to me, the most important thing that we can possibly do is to teach and to lead our kids and grandkids to know and love and honor and obey the Lord God Almighty. Amen. Everything else pales in comparison. Everything. A hundred years from now, it's the only thing that's going to matter. Again, it's going to be their call. I know the Bible says in Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. But you need to understand the word proverb means probability. There are no guarantees with our kids and grandkids. But if we will do our very best to impart spiritual life into the lives of our kids and grandkids, there's a greater probability of that happening. So as Kirk has spoken about, I want to urge you to talk about the Lord God in your homes. I want to urge you to just talk about Him everywhere. I urge you to do that. We sing about Him in our home a lot. To live out your faith in front of your kids and grandkids every single day. Because I'm telling you, they're watching you. They're watching you like a hawk. I love to tell the story about the mama skunk and the baby skunks who are going by a paper factory. If you know anything about a paper factory, you know it stinketh. It does. It smells. They were going by that thing, and one of the baby skunks says, Mama, what's that smell? And the mama skunk goes, Honey, I don't know, but we sure got to get some of it. And here's my prayer. Here's my prayer for you, for me. I pray that my kids and my grandkids, that your kids and your grandkids would see such a love and a joy and a hope and a peace and a vibrant faith. They look at that and they're like, hey, I don't understand all about it, but I sure want some of it. And friends, we need to have that kind of resolve. We need to have that kind of grit with everybody within our circle of influence. Family, friends, co-workers, classmates, teammates, neighbors, in-laws, outlaws, you name it. Here's what we need to do. We need to make sure that the people in our lives get a glimpse of Christ, the hope of glory. And they see that, and hopefully, oh, I pray they would say, hey, I want that too. And that's all i got to say about that. <laughs> yeah. Love it. I'm so grateful for the spiritual heritage that I have and for those godly heroes in my life. My parents who love me, who love the Lord, and help me to love the Lord. Hey, last weekend here at Mountain, we had a baptism splash. It was out at Jerusalem Mill, and it was a beautiful day. 22 people got baptized. Yeah, it was something to celebrate. Yeah. Hey, I want you to see this picture. Uh, This beautiful moment happened. So this is three generations of deagles. Okay, these are some people that have been at Mountain for a long time, have served at Mountain for a long time, and really love Jesus. And so that's Mike Sr. and Mike Jr. and Max. And last weekend, Max got baptized at that baptism splash. And their whole family celebrated, and the church family celebrated. It was beautiful. Hey, this guy, Scott Hammond, 
He's a, a small group leader for Max. He baptized Max out in the gunpowder. And it was beautiful. Scott has been a godly hero, a spiritual father for so many people around here at Mountain, including my kids. And hey, you know what? There's going to be a day when Max is having a hard day and he'll walk out to the mailbox and maybe there'll be a letter in there from that old small group leader, his mentor, Scott Hammond. And maybe that letter will say something like, Max, Hang in there. You got this. I can see your sincere faith. It first lived in your grandfather, Mike Sr., and then it lived in your father, Mike Jr., and I'm convinced that now it lives in you. You have a deep well that you can draw upon today. Isn't that the story that you want for your family? That's the story that I want for my family. And if you're like me and that is your story, you need to celebrate that. You need to celebrate it. You need to honor it. And you need to hold on to it. Hold on to it because it's a gift. And then if that's not you today, if that's not your story, I'll tell you this. You can start to write that new story for your family. It can start with you today. Someone has to be the first person to change the trajectory of their family, to change the trajectory of their community. Hey, you remember when we talked about those godly heroes earlier? We shouted out names from the Bible. Some of those people were the first people in their families or communities to turn and follow God. Somebody's got to be the first person, and that can be you. Sometimes it has to do with biology. But sometimes it's just all about proximity and availability and faithfulness, and you can do that. Some of us need to start looking for godly heroes in our lives today. And maybe for you, that means you need to get in a small group. Find some people who can invest in you and pour into you. If you're a student, maybe that means you go to Echo and Collide, and you meet people like Scott Hammond who can pour into your lives. Maybe you need to find somebody that you look up to that's walking the walk, and you just need to say, hey, can we get coffee? together sometime. And then some of us, some of us need to figure out how to be godly heroes for the people in our lives right now, like Eunice and Lois were for Timothy, like my parents were for me, like their parents were for them. Maybe you need to start thinking orange. Maybe you need to start thinking orange and doing that by start to teach a small group in student ministries. Teach some kids in Mountain Kids. Hey, coach a team in the community. Get outside of these walls, but do this. Make a difference in the lives of some young people who need you. You want to know what the grittiest thing you can do today is? It's this. It's following Jesus. Follow Jesus. Have Jesus in your heart. And maybe you need to do the same thing that Max did last week and so many others. Maybe you need to take that step in baptism. You can do that today. Come talk to some of the prayer partners when the service ends today. You can do that. Start writing that new gritty story in your life today. Let's pray. God, it's so good to just think about godly heroes, the people who have invested in our lives. And God, we're thankful for people in our families and then in this church community that have poured into us, have invested, loved us, and cared for us, and more than anything, just taught us about Jesus. God, we pray that you would open our eyes to the places where we can pour into others, where we can become godly heroes. God, help us to do that Help us to have your eyes for the world around us. And God, we pray 
In Jesus' name, amen.